Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. Good morning, church. How are you all doing? I loved, I loved uh, hearing everyone's voices there in the last song. I think that's kind of one of the beautiful things about singing these ancient hymns is a lot of us know the words and there's something beautiful. I think I saw Jordan for a moment step away from the mic and just, you know, I'm not going to sing right now because you all were singing. That was awesome. Um, well, as Adam said, I'll be speaking for about 25 or 30 minutes, maybe even a little bit less. And Adam knows that's true because he's seen my notes. Uh, we share notes with one another. Every week we've done so for several years now and we give feedback and encouragement and that sort of thing. And and this week, I'm in a, in a week right now where we're in between sermon series, and we call weeks like this one-offs. So I have a one-off, which just means there's no assigned text or topic, etc. And I'm going to be honest with you, I do not like one-offs at all. Um, we could be going through a very strange scripture or text, something that's a little bit challenging, a little bit difficult. That's kind of my wheelhouse. Give me Habakkuk chapter 2, um, and I'm okay, but give me a, hey, talk about whatever you want to talk about. I don't know. So uh, I'm believing that God has a word for us today. I have a real simple word for us today. Uh, several years ago, we preached a sermon series where we were looking at meta-narratives in Scripture. Um, and so essentially what this was is if you were to open up the Bible and you were to read through it from the beginning to the end, we looked at what, what we called four meta-narratives or four larger stories, kind of the 10,000-foot view of the Bible. I'm not going to do that this morning. But I heard something a few weeks ago that spoke to something similar. And, and this was what are the repeated things that God says to humanity throughout Scripture? What are the things that God wants to say to us? The things that come up over and over and over again. If you're to read the Bible from beginning to end, if God was saying something, what would, what would that be? And there are four things that jumped out that God says throughout Scripture over and over. And I have a slide for this. There are these words. I love you. Do not be afraid, I am with you, and you can come home. You can come home. I love you. Do not be afraid, I am with you, you can come home. I would suspect that all of us need to hear at least one of those things today. Or if you're like me, perhaps you need to hear multiple of those things today, but what if we need more than to hear these words? What would it look like if we lived in these words? What, what if we were formed and transformed by these words? Uh, a few weeks ago, John Minan preached a sermon from John 15, the gift of pruning. And if you weren't here, you need to go to our podcast and listen to it. I know y'all are busy. You can listen to it on two times speed. That's how I like to listen to sermons on podcasts two times. I don't need it to go so slow. Um, but 
You need to listen to that sermon, The Gift of Pruning. And John spoke to this idea of abiding. What would it look like if we abided in those words that we had on the screen? You can come home. I am with you. Do not be afraid. I love you. Now, um, let's start with a passage. We'll, we'll move through these phrases kind of backwards with uh, you can come home and I, and I am with you. And I'm going to start with a story that Jesus told, a story that many of us are familiar from Luke chapter 15. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. Um, and you can follow along on the screen if you'd like, or if you have a Bible, you can open up your Bible to Luke 15 or your Bible app. But uh, this is the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. How many of you are familiar with this story? Yes. So verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. That was his job. Have you been complaining about your job recently? This is likely not your job, though we are in Vermont, so perhaps that it is your job. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. So he kind of begins to rehearse, right? This is my penitence to my father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against you. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Notice he doesn't have time as we continue on to finish his prepared speech. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never, even, you, never even, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? This is how the story ends with the words of the father. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead 
and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's a great story, isn't it? Timeless. Now, if people like Henry Nowen and Tim Tim Keller can spend their entire lives preaching sermons from this text and write books on this text, uh, I'm not going to try to do that. But this morning, I'd invite you to briefly consider the action and the words of the Father. First, as the prodigal son approaches, we read this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the father says, The father says, Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, a couple Sunday school questions for all of you. Who's telling the story? Jesus. Y'all are, y'all are doing great. Y'all are doing great here. Another Sunday school question. Who does the Father represent in the story? Someone a little louder. God. God. Yes, the Father represents God. Now, uh, I have Rembrandt's uh, the prodigal son, if we could get that projected. And while we do, another question for all of us. If Jesus is telling the story and the Father represents God in the story, what does this story reveal about who God is? What does this story reveal about who God is? Um, And so as we have this picture, it's kind of dark because of the natural light. We're, We're grateful for natural light here, right? Um, but you don't need to pay attention to the painting. It's just there because it's a great painting. What does this story reveal to us about who God is? Um, This is now where I would request just participation from you. What is this story, huh? Forgiveness. He's forgiving. What was that? His generosity. Yes. He saves. Oh, safe. He's safe. That's, that's a beautiful image. God is love. Yes. One of the things I see is God emphatically saying to us, you can come home. Because all those things are true. As Gail said, because God is safe because his forgiveness never runs dry. His generosity, right? It's beautiful. Um, I'd like to turn our attention now to the final words of the father in this story. This is in response to the older brother's refusal to join the party. This This is what the father says. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. Of all the words Jesus could have put on the lips of the God character in this story, he chose, you are with me. And everything I have is yours. God's presence, God's generosity, 
God in his generosity reveals himself, gives us his presence, and reminds us, I am with you. If you're anything like me, that is a word you could use this morning. The last two things, do not be afraid and I love you. Again, these are words you see throughout scripture. It's not just, these are just like scriptures I pulled out of a basket, right? I'm just like, these are the scriptures I'm going to use today because it's a one-off. I didn't have anything assigned to me. But, so these are words repeated by God to humanity all throughout scripture. But I'm going to again choose to look at words from Jesus himself. And so to look at these next two phrases, uh, we're going to look at John 14, verses 25 through 27. I believe we have this on the screen as well. And these are words that Jesus is giving his disciples right before his crucifixion, right before he is no longer going to be with them in, in a physical, bodily presence kind of way. And Jesus says this, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, in Greek it's the word parakletos, it means one who walks alongside, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Last week, if you're here, Adam preached a sermon called The Sacred Ambition of Enjoying Your Life, comma, part two. And he spoke of the difference between enjoyment that brings honor to God and searching for enjoyment through disorders, desire. And one of the passages Adam brought up was from Genesis chapter 3. And what we see in Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters the world in the narrative and humans choose disordered desires instead of the shalom of God, the wholeness of God, what we see One of the things that we see is we see Adam and Eve hiding in the garden afraid. And one of the very first things that God asked them is, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? And so fear becomes rooted in the human psyche. And it's at that point onward throughout scripture, fear not, do not be afraid. First appears in Genesis 15 becomes a repeated refrain throughout Scripture. Not only that, not only does this fear not, do not be afraid, become a repeated refrain, but we see in the New Testament and in the life and the work of Jesus that one of the things Jesus accomplishes through his life, through the cross and the resurrection, is he accomplishes a a, a restoring and a reconciling from, of humanity back to God. And so what Jesus does is he establishes God's shalom. Another way you could put it is Jesus establishes God's shalom as the last word. When fear enters the story, fear isn't the last word, but Jesus gets the last word through establishing God's shalom. John 15, verses 9 through 13 And so Jesus proclaims, do not be afraid. The last phrase, uh, as as we come to wrapping up, I love you. Uh, John 15, verse 9. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then Jesus does an interesting thing. He defines what he means by love because love can mean a lot of different things, right? I went to the fair with my family this last week and it was my daughter Zia. We were celebrating her birthday. Zia loves the fair. Zia loves cotton candy. I love fried Twinkies and fried onions and fried Oreos and all sorts of fried things. Jesus has a different definition of love. Greater love has no man than this to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus not only wants us to hear, I love you, but here in this passage, we see he invites us to remain and abide in God's love. And we sang about Jesus' love. To abide in God's love is to experience and to be transformed by the love of God displayed in the cross of Christ. We sang about that this morning. The cross of Christ is Jesus laying his life down for his friends. My brothers and sisters, when we gaze upon the cross, when we reflect upon the cross, that is what we are witnessing. We're witnessing Jesus saying, I love you. We're witnessing Jesus laying his life down for his friends, of which you are one. Uh, Brian Zond writes this about the cross of Christ and the love of God, specifically about how the cross of Christ reveals the type of love that is on display in the cross of Christ, or cruciform love. It says this, It's the pinnacle of God's self-disclosure. It's divine solidarity with all human suffering. It's the shaming of principalities and powers. It's the point from which the Satan is driven out of the world. It's the death by which Christ conquers death. It's the abolition of war and violence. It's the supreme demonstration of the love of God. It's the refounding of the world around us on an axis of love. It's the enduring model of co-suffering love we are to follow. It's the eternal moment in which the sin of the world is forgiven. Can I get an amen? You might want to get a picture of that because that's good. That'll preach, right? To abide in God's love, to listen to the words, I love you, is to gaze upon the cross, but to abide in it is to be transformed by it. And so I don't know which of those words, which of those phrases you need to hear today, uh, but it's my prayer that at least one of them would have spoken to you. But we're going to close this morning's sermon in a time of prayer together, a a guided practice um, in which we're going to pray together. And this time is going to begin in silence. Unless you're a baby, 
that's fine. You don't have to join us in a time of silence. Um, but I'd, I'd invite you where you are. And my hope really in, in leading us in this practice is not that we would have an amazing time where God speaks to us, but hopefully in a little way, become aware of God's presence with us now in this room. But even more than that, that this would be a practice that you're able to take with you in the week um, because Sunday is only an hour um, and, and find some time to just sit with God, to be with God. Um, and so this is a, a, a type of prayer, a, a, a type of prayer that's in silence typically. And you could do this at home, but where you are, um, I just encourage you to get comfortable. So maybe use the, the rest on those comfort, comfortable theater chairs. Um, or if you want to sit up straight, whatever's comfortable for you, um, close your eyes. Um, and we're going to just spend some time in silence. One thing that can be helpful is to begin been beginning your time in silence is to focus on your breathing. We sang that earlier. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. Um, just to focus on your breathing. Uh, if it's helpful, you can count while you do so. Uh, as you breathe in for four seconds, hold that for four seconds and breathe out for four, four seconds. There's no goal here. It's just to be silent and still before God. And after a moment or two, I'll continue to lead us in this practice. But for this moment, um, just still and quiet silence. Now, as you continue to be still before God, uh, I'd invite you to transition just from stillness to what you could call practicing the presence of God. And so this is just opening yourself to the reality that God is with you, that God is here. If it's helpful, you could think of uh, God sitting next to you or God sitting in a chair up here at the front. And the, the goal of this time is just to be with God. And during this time, I know that there's going to be to-do lists that come into your mind, distractions, doubts, frustrations, worries. And as they do, um, with, try to withhold judgment from yourself that they're coming, but try to let those thoughts go as quickly as possible. If it's helpful, um, use a prayer to bring yourself back to Jesus. It could just be Jesus or Father. It could be you love me, you love me, you are with me, um, anything. Uh, but the, the point of this next time is just to practice being with Jesus. There's no goal.
Now as we practice the presence of God, reflect on the very last words of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. As you reflect on those words, I'd invite you to think of some areas, some places in your life where you could really use God's presence. You could really use the words of Jesus, I'm with you. Reflect on some specific areas, some specific things. And, and, and as you do, I'd invite you to hear those words. I am with you always. I am with you always. In John 14, Jesus promises his peace and promises that the Holy Spirit is given to us to remind us of God's peace and of God's words. 2 Timothy 2 verse 7 reads this, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I'd invite you for a moment to consider, reflect on some ways. You could use the words from God. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And so perhaps it's a specific fear or an anxiety or just the general anxiety of living in the world that we live in. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Um, if your eyes are closed, I'd invite you to open them, and I have a prayer for us to pray together. Let's read this together, brothers and sisters. Holy Spirit, remind us of the peace we have been given in Jesus. God, we ask you to cast away any spirit of fear and anxiety we declare together that you have given us a spirit of power and love and self-control. Um, if we could get Rembrandt's prodigal son image here. Um, let's close again in silent prayer. And this is where we'll, we'll wrap up until I'd invite the band up as well. Um, but as we do, um, I'd invite you to reflect on the Father welcoming his son home. And as you do, think on the ways in which you are distant from God. Maybe it's a sin or a doubt, or perhaps it's just a feeling of being distanced from God, and you don't know why you feel that way. And now, I'd like you to think of the Father running to embrace you. If it's helpful, um, Imagine yourself as the child in Rembrandt's picture. God wants you to come home regardless of what you've done, regardless of your doubts, regardless of whether you've considered yourself 
close to God, there's nothing you could do to ever make God love you any less. I am with you always, and everything I have is yours. God is ready for you to come home. God is ready to embrace you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for those words to us. I love you. I am with you. Do not be afraid. You can come home. We thank you that we read those over and over throughout Scripture. But more than that, that your Spirit reminds us of those words. And so we open our hearts. God, we pray that we take these words with us into our weeks. Help us to create space, to find space to practice. Being in your presence, listening to what you might have to say for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You're listening to the official podcast of Church of the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church of the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.